Hey guys, Dominic Nesha here today. I am with the great Tom Panos. How you going, Dominic? Very good. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Um, for all the people that don't know you, that's a shame on you, you should. Uh, Tom is a great real estate coach. He runs Real Estate Gym. He's a podcaster. He's an auctioneer. You're a TV personality. You talk about the real estate. You're a real estate commentator. Um, I've been following you for many, many years. You came on our podcast when the business was still young. Um, and we are in a very interesting time and place. I want to chat to you about the market. So Absolutely. thanks for joining the show. Absolute pleasure. You, um, do you, the first question, I think it's an obvious one, is um, are we in a boom? Yes, 100%. 100%. No question about it. Yeah. Houses more than units. Houses more than units. But we are in a boom. I got into real estate, Dominic, in 1988 when I was around you know, 20, 21 years of age. That's the only marketplace that is stronger than this one. So back in 1988, prices doubled in a 12-month period. So houses that were 600, well, they weren't 600. You know, the areas that, I, there were some areas that were 600, but the areas I worked were, say, 300. They went to 600. Um, prices doubled. That was the, the biggest boom in real estate. And I clearly remember, um, it was the smartest salesperson used to sell the most properties. If you were intelligent enough to know, to ring the buyers that you had a new listing, it was basically whoever had the fastest car would sell real estate, right? If you were a fastest driver and you were able to get to the property first, you made the sales. There was just urgency, urgency, urgency. It's not as strong now, but it's close. It's close. So this would be the strongest. In fact, CoreLogic, who have got data since 2003, so they don't have the 1988 data, since 2003 have said this has been the highest growth in last month, was the highest growth that they have on record. So it's not me just saying it, CoreLogic RP data are saying it as well. You're absolutely right. I just spoke to Eliza Owen. Um, she works with uh, with Tim Lawless at the, yes. the CoreLogic team. And yeah, last month it was um, the, f the fastest month-on-month -month growth I've had in the past 17 years, which is not hard to believe. Um, how does this environment feel to the other booms? Because you've experienced a couple of the others. You're around for the early one. You're around for you know the 2000s and um, the, the the most recent one, which was in 2013 to 20 sort of 17. How does it feel now? Are we in the early days of something big, or is it just a a quick blip and then it's gone? We're in something's big already happening, so it's not like we're about to go into something big. This is big. We're talking about houses selling for seven, eight hundred thousand over reserve. We're talking about twenty-five people bidding on properties at the one time. This is big. What's the difference? COVID clarity. During COVID nineteen, people started to do a self audit on their life. They started thinking about, hey, do I need a bigger home? Do I need to be living where I am right now? I've been set up with Zoom. Do I need to be six minutes away from the city? Do I need more space? Do I need a swimming pool? Do I need to set up a gym because I can't use gyms? Do I need to actually still be married to this person? That's what one of the things that happened with COVID clarity. Six weeks in lockdown in Sydney, other places it was bigger. Dominic, people started to question, how am I living my life? COVID gave people clarity. So what have I seen? The kind of properties that COVID supported are doing better. And what does that mean? Homes, 
are doing better than units. The second thing is it's broad-based. Where there's, It's not broad-based in terms of property type, it's broad-based in, in terms of geography. Mm. So what we're seeing, it's booming in Hobart, it's booming in Adelaide, it's booming in Brisbane, it's booming in Melbourne, it's booming everywhere. That's the thing. It's got Darwin's gone up ten percent, right? Mm. So what we're seeing is houses, lifestyle, land, they're they're booming. And um, to answer your question, is this the start? It's hot right now. Will it continue? I'm not sure. I don't make those forecasts, but I will tell you there's people at APRA that are sitting back and they watch and they watch graphs. And what happens is at some point they're going to say, guys, let's sit in this board meeting. Have, have a look what's going on here. It's no longer affordable. Yes, interest rates are 2%, but guess what? That first home buyer is now paying $900,000 for a house that was going for $700,000. let us do the numbers. How much are they saving on interest and how much are they actually paying in the extra purchase price? So at some point, I don't know what's going to happen, Dominic. might happen later this year. might happen next year. At some point, tightening of money will come into play because the APRA's got a responsibility to um, influence the economy. You're, you know, that's interesting you say that because we say that often in this office. Um, the only way, like if all things remain equal and the government doesn't get in the way, the market will keep on running. But you're right, they have a, uh, a responsibility to people to have a look at the environment saying, is it running too hot? Is the debt to income ratio getting too crazy? Um, can people still afford a, a reasonable property? And they may step in at some point and start to suppress the property values in certain parts of the market. Um, it's it's we are seeing crazy results though. One of your your auctions was what five hundred eighty thousand above reserve, and some of your other ones have been even more than that. Man, I've look, you know, I've had, I mean, this wasn't this year, it was last year. I had one, and I had a property that had a reserve of uh, seven fifty, and it sold for one point eight. What? Right. What yeah. was what was yeah. that and where? That was that was in Punchbowl, and it was a derelict. A derelict house that had favourable zoning, and a lot of people were were chasing it. Um, I had a property on Saturday, okay, Frycourt Street, Earlwood. Man, I got there, Dominic, and I thought to myself, this is a one-seven house, right? It's a, it was a it was a. I mean, I hope the vendors aren't listening to it. It was a dreadful house, right? You couldn't live in it. And it sold for two million three hundred and one. So that was six oh one more in Earlwood. It's not, you know, double bay. It's your average suburb in the, you know, southwest we'd call it. Yeah. But to people in that area, it's a double bay of that area. They like it. Well the Greek, Greeks call it the double bay. That's it. The they double love bay it. for Greeks. Yeah. They love Gre they love Earlwood. Yeah. So that's a big, big price, and you're right that it's being led by houses. Land, big homes are moving at crazy prices, but at some point you have to ask yourself. You know, some people might want to live in double in, in in Elwood, and they can't afford to buy a house. Do you think that apartments will then start to creep up, and we'll start to see growth in in apartments and units and townhouses? Yeah. So they're still going to go up. I mean, the issue is we're not talking about. Oh, houses 
are hot and units are plummeting. All we're saying is the speed of growth is not the same. Mm. So what will happen is, and the way the cycle works, it works as a, there's, a, there's a tipping point where the buyer says, I can't afford Earlwood. I can't afford Belmore, so they keep going west. I can't afford Earlwood. I can't afford Belmore. I can afford Punchbowl. Mm. But I don't want to go to Punchbowl. I really don't want to go to Punchbowl. So then what happens is the buyer rationalises in their head and they say, okay, so what are my choices? I buy a house in Punchbowl or I buy a unit closer to where I want it to be. So there's a tipping point where you say, hey, I won't go to that suburb. By the way, I'm not saying Punchbowl's a bad suburb. I'm using that as an example no. here. All I'm saying is you, what you'll do is you'll just keep going west and then there's this tipping point. I actually think units represent good value at the moment. I think they've you know, had a bit of a stigma because what happened is, Dominic, with New York and COVID where it sort of was rampant, um, it was all about this publicity about people living in units and it was spreading. So what happened is there was this big exodus and all the people living in the inner city started heading out to the, the suburbs, actually even going to regional areas. That's why we've had this regional boom. But if you look at 1920, and that's a very good case study when we had uh, the Spanish... Um, the Spanish flu, where they say somewhere between 50 and 100 million people died. What happened is, during that pandemic, it mirrored what happened in Australia. People left the cities and went out to regional areas. But something weird happened. Then, in nine, that was 1919. Then 1921, 1922, when the virus got under control and people stopped dying and then it disappeared, what happened is the people returned from the regional areas back to the cities. Mm. And I've got to tell you, I'm seeing elements of that already. I'm already seeing people head back to the cities because they have factored in the vaccine. It's already factored in. People went, now there's clarity. It's coming. We know that this monster is going to be suffocated at some time this year or early next year. And we're seeing people come back, which says to me that units in a city living will again start picking up. So I think they represent good value at the moment. I agree. I think there's a couple... I, I want to talk about this a little bit more, but because <clears throat> we're looking for not what's happening. That's good. But we want to see what are the early signs or where is it going to go. Um, I think there's a few things happening in the market that will stimulate units. You've got potentially the changes to stamp duty in, in New South Wales where they will, um, if you do go buy a property, it moves to a land tax. And that land tax is based upon the unimproved value of the land that you own. Houses will pay more of this land tax compared to units because they've got a small portion of land. So I think that there's going to be a lot of people looking at units as an affordability play, especially because the housing markets are pumped so hard. Yeah. As you said earlier, people will either do two things. They'll go further west or they will get something smaller. Um, and then lastly, I think that once, once this COVID thing evaporates or goes away or gets cured or we manage it efficiently, um, borders will open up. Tourism, tourism will start peaking again. Uh, migration will come back and students will come back to the market. These are all different people that want apartments. They want inner city. And then that's where we may see um, changes to unit or apartment prices. Yeah, look, 
all those factors agree with you. Um, they're going to be contributors to making units attractive again at the moment. Land and houses is hot. Um, so if anyone that's listening to this is trying to, you know, read the market, um, you've got to take everything that you've said into account. But fundamentally, you've got to accept this, and I accept this. I only buy real estate when I've got cash to do it. I don't make my real estate decisions based on the market. I make my real estate decisions based on my life. And the reason why is that when I buy real estate, I'm going into business with that real estate. Mm. And going into business with that real estate means I'm playing a long game with that asset. So I'm not taking into account market fluctuations that ha happen in narrow periods of time, right? I'm going into a marriage with real estate. I'm far more looking at the 30-year result, the 10-year result, the 20-year result, not the 10-month result. Mm. So I don't make decisions based on the market. I make it based on my life. Because if you try and make a decision based on the market, you're either chasing the market up or chasing the market down. And the markets work faster than humans because the minute it's happened, you've missed it. Mm. You know that. No, I agree. You, you, if, you, the, the, the people that really make mistakes is when you're trying to outperform the market. That's one of the hardest things to go and do. You're trying to rationalise so many big macroeconomic things that you have no control over and you don't have perfect information. I prefer to invest like you do. But it's very difficult. I like the way that you phrase that, that you're going into business and you're going into marry, you're marrying this property. So it's not three months or you know, two or three years, it's 10, 20, 30 years. And when you think about property that way, a lot changes in 10 years. Yeah, for instance, someone hit me up on a buy on a property in Mount Druitt the other day, right? They said, but listen, go on RP Data, have a look. It's 30 grand under market value. I said, I'm not disputing that. I'm taking your word for it, but I've got to let you know. I'm buying on a 10, 15 year cycle. I don't care about if I'm picking it up 30 grand under market value at the moment. What I'm caring about is, am I going to be getting 10% growth or am I going to be getting 4% growth? Because this 30 grand inbuilt profit that I'm picking up in a suburb that I don't want to be married to doesn't hit the spot for me. And he goes, oh, you shouldn't look at it that way. I said, listen, if McDonald's were selling Big Macs two for a dollar, they're a bargain, but I don't need them. So why would I spend a buck anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Just because it's cheap doesn't mean I want it. <laughs> I like that one. Look, I think it's a, it's a good point because, you know, I talk to clients and they fall for the trap of cheap. Yeah. They, they fall for the trap of cheap. Cheap's cheap for a reason, right? Listen, if it's cheap and there's no one there and no one's buying it, and you're buying it as a bargain, and you're being you know, pushed to take it, and they're saying, this is a good buy, look here. Think about it. When it comes time to sell, there's no one going to be there looking at it either. So don't be too concerned about paying a little bit more. There's a beautiful poem. I'm going to try and remember it. It is unwise to pay too much, but it's worse to pay too little. When you pay too much, you lose a little money, and that's all. But when you pay too little, sometimes you lose everything 
because the thing you bought is not capable of doing the thing you needed it to do. Mm. Makes sense? It makes perfect sense. Pay the 5% extra. It's something that I should have, you know, followed the advice myself over the years. There have been so many times, like, I screwed up. Listen, I screwed up the, t- the long weekend that we had. Uh, what are we now? It was the long weekend we had in October. I had a property, you know, I thought I had an offer and acceptance at 65 and uh, I was coming back from Terry Gould with a 10% deposit. The agent said to me, oh, mate, we've had someone that's come in at 6.8. Even though you are going to get it at 6.5, you have to pay 6.8. And I got the shits because in my head, Dominic, I thought to myself, hang on a second, I'm just paying another 300 grand more. Subsequently, it was still good value. It was great value. Two terraces and a childcare in the eastern suburbs, right? It was great value. But, you know, like, pay the 5%. That's good advice. Pay the 5%. Pay, pay what you've got to pay to get the deal done if it's what you want to do. It's interesting you say that because you've sat on the front lines looking at mums and dads and first-time buyers and experienced investors as an auctioneer and you've seen their face when it changes. Some people get a little bit of fire and tenacity and like, I need this property today. I know what it, I, they've got a vision for it. And other people feel like, oh, I don't know. You know, ten, twenty thousand dollars is a bit too much. Yeah, the 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 thing that I still have to come to grips with as an auctioneer and how buyers make decisions is when the market's not hot and they don't have competitors and there's a great opportunity and they're there and they're in the driver's spot to buy it. They'll sit there and they'll say, "But I'm the only one here," and you say, "But you're buying it." for a hundred grand less. And they said, but I'm the only one here. Then fast forward 12 months later, we've got a booming market. There's 25 people. They're not paying 100 more. All of a sudden they're paying 300 more and they don't need any encouragement. They're just going crazy. So it's your ability to be able to make decisions without having fear and greed as your driving decision makers, right? Mm. Fear, fear of missing out, right? Greed, I'm gonna, I wanna time this, I wanna time this at the top, I wanna time this at the bottom. You've gotta let go of those because it's gonna cause you insomnia and it's gonna cost you money. You're gonna end up having paralysis by over-analysis. You'll do nothing because you're just waiting for that perfect time. There is no perfect time. The time's right when you've got the money to make the decision and do it. That's interesting because you said that earlier. I buy property based on what I'm doing and if I can afford it in my cash position. Um, There are a number of people at the moment that have some money. They can buy something or they can wait another 6, 12, 24 months and save a bigger deposit. How do you feel about that? Say you've got $50,000 in the bank account, you're new, you're looking to start investing, or fifty dollars to $100,000. Um, what kind of guidance can you provide to that person? Should they be looking at buying something now? Should they wait longer and save a bigger deposit? It's a hard choice as horses for courses. But Look, if you're the chief technology officer of Pfizer and you're overseeing the COVID-19 vaccine and you're on $3 bucks a year... No problems. Wait another six months. You're going to have another one and a half million dollars. The speed of you making money might likely outstrip 
the speed of growth of property. Yep. If you're on eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year, and you're thinking to yourself, "I'm going to wait six months. I'm going to have saved myself another thirty thousand dollars." Right? You're not going to save a lot more when you take tax out of it. Right? Do you honestly think that the thirty thousand dollars that you're going to make and save over that, and that's by the way, that is ambitious for a person to save thirty thousand dollars. On ninety grand a year in a six month, that is ambitious. Yeah, you're living with your mum and you're eating baked beans. Correct. You're eating. You're eating. You're eating baked beans, and and they they bought the baked beans too, <laughs> right? So so the so the so the issue, Dominic, is you're not going to be able to save as fast as the market is going to go up. So what I would suggest you do is, hey, you don't buy in the best street in that suburb. You buy in a street that's not perfect, but it's okay. Or you say, you know what? I can't buy in Chippendale. I can't buy in Darlington. Let's head to St. Peter's. Hey, but listen, I don't love St. Peter's. Well, you're not supposed to love your first home. You're supposed to just get your first home, right? So that's the other thing is sometimes you've got to change your perspective, right? You've got to turn around and say, you know what? I want to live in Darlington. I want to live in a warehouse in Chippendale. Well, guess what? You can still do it, but it's not happening in 2021. It'll happen in 2025. Sam over there is, is try reserving himself from cheering. He's talking to clients like that right now. You know, it's, it's interesting. What you're saying is that you can't tick all your boxes. You haven't got the budget. Just buy what you can go and get. 100%. Change your perspective. It's difficult for some people, particularly if they were brought up by parents thinking, hey, you can have everything you want. No, you can't have everything you want. 80% of winning is just beginning. Get started. You're not going to get to chapter five in your life without going to chapter one. There's too many people that want to go to the end of the book. This is a good point. Um, you have a quote, and I saw it and I laughed. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Worry about why you're worried about what I'm doing. Now, I really like this quote because it, to me, the, what I get from it is it, I, I, I get a sense of let me do what I'm doing and you worry about yourself. And, and I like it because we're in the investment space and many of our clients come to us and rightfully so, they take advice or they hear people around them. But I don't always believe that that guidance advice is coming from the right place or they should be listening to these people just because it's their mum or their dad or their uncle, Bob, who's, you know. Yeah. I want to get some of your thoughts on that quote and, and, and what I so, just... So, so on other people's advice, even today, my local cafe, I was sitting, you know, social distancing's gone, tables are closer together, I'm listening to a guy talk to another guy. This guy was an expert... Let's go through it. He was an expert on NRL. He was an expert on the current real estate market. He was an expert on what's happening with bond prices. He was an expert on... Um, he was very focused on real estate. That was, the, that was there, right? But, he, you know, he touched on the money markets, he, you know, and he touched on a little bit about... He basically said, you know, you've got to uh, take uh, um, the antivirus... the, the vaccine three times he's done blah 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 so 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 just picture the next thing you know is i finish i get my coffee i walk out the guy's got into a five thousand dollar car right and i'm thinking to myself mate like if this guy was able to be 
such a brain in all those areas of life. Why the hell is he ri- driving into a you know Daihutsu, Daihatsu or Daihutsu, whatever Daihatsu with Bust one, one hub, hubcap, right? So the issue is be very, be very you, know, you know, when you send the one hubcap, you know, <laughs> like put four on at least it's going <laughs> to give it, you know, movie. like I don't have money, but I take pride, right? This guy's you've got no money, I've got no hubcaps, and in addition to that, I'm everything to everyone. So what's my point? My point is you've got to be very careful who you take advice from. That's the first thing. The second thing is you have to understand, generally speaking, the advice you're going to get from people that care about you, right? That care about you will be more preventive than encouraging, right? Why? Because Daniel Kahneman, who won a Nobel Prize in 1979 for behavioral economics, studied people will do more to avoid pain than to gain pleasure. So, it makes sense that someone's going to say, don't do it, it's booming, prices are going to drop, wait. It makes sense because what they're doing is they're trying to stop someone from in pain, right? But if you turned around and you said to that person, sir, before you give any more advice, I would like to ask you, are you prepared to sign a piece of paper that says, if this person chooses not to buy, and the market goes up 10%, which means it's $100,000 more. Will you reimburse this person with $100,000 because of your advice? Will you do that? All of a sudden, you see a change in tone, right? Mm. Why? Because they've got to live with the consequences of the decision and advice they've given to that person. So what do I say? Don't really follow the advice of people who don't have to live with the consequences of the decision that you make. But there's an asterisk. Mm. There's people that you consider as mentors, people that you aspire to. And what you do is you listen, you hear, because they've walked your path and you'll have an open mind towards these people because they have got results that you're heading for. With them, be open-minded because they most likely, Dominic, have gone through hundreds of mistakes that you might not have to go through because they've summarised them for you in advice. It's very, very good advice and thank you for that line. I'm going to send it as a little snippet to everyone that I've spoken to recently. What line was that? Well, the whole, all of it, the whole thing, the, the pain avoidance, um, the fact that the person that's giving you the advice should, are they prepared to then live with the consequence of your potential upside loss? Um, it's the fact that you should be listening to people that have done the thing that you're trying to do. Um, this is all very valuable pieces of advice that when you contextualize it, when you put it in here and you really understand it, you can afford to be braver. You know, it sounds like you're happier to make a mistake and live with that consequence because you'll learn from that mistake. You know, just go for it. Jump, t- jump over the deep end and, and just you know, dive in and do what you need to do. Mistakes for me, Dominic, is something that people need to change their view and change how they process it. For me, mistakes, failure, rejection 
are not the opposite of success. They are part of success. They are data inputs that help you have an algorithm in your head that says this has happened before and this is what was the result. So I make a better choice this time. You can't do that without mistakes. The guaranteed formula for depression, being broke, being unhappy, is don't make a mistake because basically you're doing nothing. And as far as I'm concerned, if that's your strategy in life, let me give you some certainty. Go to a funeral parlour and just wait because that's inevitable. Go to a funeral parlour and just wait. And I think you've got to, I think people have to get better about their uncertainty threshold. I mean, it's, look, it's easy for me, right? Someone's, my wife goes to me, oh, you're, you're lucky you've had cancer three times, so everything, <laughs> every, 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 everything's a bonus. And you know, she got upset. She goes to me, oh, because once you realise that, you, you know, you're going to die, you know, this and that. I said, well, listen, I don't, I've got bad news for you, sweetie. You're going to die too, right? The only difference is that I've been able to see it and taste it more which helps me to live my life knowing the mortality rate between playing safe and risky is 100%. People don't realise that. It's 100% you're going to die. So you think to yourself, whether you've got a risky profile, conservative profile, you're going to die anyway. Once you accept that, you have a bit of a crack in life. It's, it's, um, it's very interesting. I think Stephen Jobs talks about that when he was facing his mortality and you, know, you can get a little bit more out of life. And I like what you're talking about, mistakes being data input, and it's not the opposite of winning or success. I've got a, a beautiful image in my mind that I've seen in the past where it's a guy walking up some stairs and he's, he's walking towards the light and each one of those stairs, is on, it's written on their mistake. Each one of these mistakes is, a, is, is um, he's building on it and moving forward. Tom, we could sit here and talk all day. Um, thank you for all your wise words. It looks like you've earned those grey hairs. That's yes, for I sure. Have. I have. Um, and, Matt, I'll have to get you back on the show. This was really, really valuable. I'm sure there's a lot of our guests and our listeners and our viewers that um, appreciate the advice. Uh, have you got any sort of parting words of wisdom? I know that you've already shared a lot of that, but is there anything that our viewers, listeners should take away from today and, and, and uh, particularly for the next 12 months, for our investors? What are they, should they be thinking about or... How can they walk away with something from today? So give me the context. The typical listener on this is who? Because I want to give advice exactly to meet the demographic of who's listening. To this. People that are listening to this are investors, uh, people that are looking to uh, be wealthy in one, whatever sense of that context of the word is. They want to make a better life for themselves. They want to invest in property. They want to invest in general and do more. Think bigger think bigger. Plan to have a future bigger than your past, number one. Number two, be very careful of the people that you have around you in your life. You're either going to have thieves or allies. Thieves are people that take from you. It could be energy. It could be enthusiasm. It could be hope. Allies are people who are like a cheer squad. Do that. Get it. It's a good buy. I surround myself. I've got mates of me. Mate, listen. Buy it. Trust me. Right? So you need to get a cheer squad of people that are in your corner, that are helping you, not hurting you. And the third thing I would say is make sure that you create what I call 
saying it to someone this morning. Like, life is hard. Like you said, with the stairs, right? You're going upstairs. Hey, listen, we get it. We are going upstairs. But create a balustrade. And a balustrade is the thing that you can hold on to, right? That helps you go up those stairs. Because I'm not saying... I mean, you're going to go from the heights of exhilaration to the depths of depression in 24 hours when you're in life and business, right? But what I'm saying is factor in that it's going to be hard and that there's going to be difficult roads. But when you get yourself a balustrade, right, a balustrade is going to help you be supported as you go up that journey. And what's that look like? Have some good rituals and habits in your life, you know, like, you know, eating well and exercising and having good people around you and making sure that you choose to consume content that's actually growing you and making you smarter and inspiring you than actually giving you a view of the world that it's terrible and that it's hostile because that's what you will get when you consume main, mainstream media. Whereas when you start to choose to select what you consume, you're going to end up setting yourself a support structure that's going to make you become bulletproof. And I want everyone that's listening to this to understand you've got to become a black belt of the mind. You've got to be someone to do something to have what you want. Start working on yourself. You're the product. If it's got to be, it's up to me. Generally speaking, you're the problem. You're the solution. Sort yourself out. Love it. Thank you all for your time. Thank you, Dominic. Um, if you like this today, uh, like, subscribe, send it to all your friends. Today was a special podcast. And Tom, thank you again. Thank you, Dominic. Thanks for having me.